Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 1 through 11. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And as we've gone through this series, we're learning about what spiritual warfare really is. How do we as Christians deal with it? What type of weapons and tools are at our disposal of how we fight the fight, as they say? But we also know that Satan possesses tools to hinder us from doing that. And so we must rely upon the Lord, the Lord more than ever when it comes to these battles. Because we know every temptation is a test. Every temptation is a test. And it's a test from the evil one. A temptation is a trial posed by Satan. When the wicked hope that we fail... That's when we must not fail. Because the Lord is sovereign. The Lord is mighty. And he blesses those who stand for him. Satan's onslaught against the word of God is constant. He's always twisting and manipulating Trying to get us to doubt what the Lord has said. For he knows that if we lose our faith in the word, then we'll more easily abandon our calling and our mission. And in Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 through 11 this morning, we're going to see more of this unrelenting attack, which... He directed against the Old Testament scripture in an attempt to fool Jesus. And you might be saying, well, how is that even possible? Jesus is Jesus and Satan is Satan. How could he possibly fool Jesus? Well, he tries. You see, in addition to attacking the word of God, the devil will bombard us with testing and trials, trying to crush us with the mounting opposition upon us. In Luke twenty-two thirty-one, Jesus warned Peter, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. And the devil is still in the business of sifting people. One commentary says in regards to Luke 23 or 22, after wheat is harvested from the fields, it is taken and placed as an outstretched cloth on the ground. And they use special rakes and beat the wheat until it's crushing into kernels fall out. Okay, so they crush this wheat until the kernels fall out. And the devil wanted to crush Simon Peter like the wheat and wear him out so he would not be able 
to serve Christ. You see, the devil wants to beat us and wear us out as well. Therefore, we need to continue learning and becoming aware of the numerous ways in which he tries to subvert the word of God. And we must become aware of his different methods of testing. And these things can be observed in the devil's testing of Jesus in the wilderness. We know, according to verse 1 in Matthew chapter 4, that God sometimes allows testing, doesn't he? First of all, we need to understand that God will sometimes allow us to be tested. And just as he allowed Jesus to be tested. The New Living Translation of Hebrews 4.15 says, The high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testing we do, yet he did not sin. In the Bible, we can observe some of the testing that Jesus endured, beginning again in Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. We should first off note the location of Jesus' testing, the wilderness. And secondly, we should note who did the actual testing, Satan. Jesus was tested in the wilderness like so many of God's people and prophets. You see, the wilderness can be such a trying and brutal location that it serves as a purging ground that we can shape and mold a person's character. How often are we molded in the good times? When does God speak of us being molded in the good times? He does. But more often than not, when are we tested? We're tested through trials, right? He may ask us to give up someone or something important to us. As in another test, God tested the faith of Abraham by telling him to go and sacrifice his son. God may ask you to give up something that's important to you just to see if you're willing to do it. Abraham did what God said and did not question God's motives, which shows us that Abraham truly trusted that God had a reason for asking him to sacrifice Isaac. When we trust God, we stop questioning his will or his ways. We just, like Abraham, will pass the test and become stronger. Secondly, he may lead us down a difficult path. We've all been there and done that, amen? He leads us down a difficult path. God has never promised us that life would be easy once we accept Jesus Christ as Savior. That is not one of his many promises. Life will still be full of challenges. Sometimes life is hard, and we're perplexed on every side. But God says, don't give up. Be trustful. Be faithful. Understand that this is God's plan for you. 
Be like Abraham. Understand, you may not understand my will for you, but it is my will nonetheless. So I'm asking you to be faithful. If we will follow him where he leads us, we will never go astray and we will arrive where God wants us to be. In Deuteronomy 8.2, the people spent 40 years in the wilderness, but those who follow God's lead ultimately went into the promised land. The question becomes this, will we follow God even when our path is difficult? Because we also know he may ask us to go through a difficult situation. Jesus was always in control of the situations of life in his earthly ministry. One day Jesus was preaching to a large audience and it came time to feed them. We know the story. John chapter 6. There were 5,000 to be fed and although Jesus knew what he could do or what he would do, he asked Philip, how were these to be fed. So why ask the question? If Jesus knew full well what was going to happen and what could happen and what would happen, why did he consult him? He made the people sit down. He took the lunch and he blessed it and he fed the people. And afterwards, 12 baskets of fragments were gathered, remained. What's the lesson here? We have to be faithful. And understand we may not have the answers, but surely God does. And he provides. And he always keeps his promises. We also know that God may allow us to suffer for a while. Paul is a great example of this. For Paul spent over 75% that's not an exaggeration. 75% of his ministry in jail. 75% of ministry in jail. I don't know if I could handle that. But Paul did. And he understood this was God's plan. He didn't question his motive. He didn't question whether this might have been a mistake. That I, God, I don't think you were intended for me to sit here and rot and only reach a few. But that's exactly what God had in store for him. And we know the preaching and the teaching of Paul and its effectiveness during his time. In Acts chapter 16, verses 25 through 31, Paul and Silas were not out of fellowship with God, but God allowed them to be imprisoned nonetheless. An earthquake happened and the guard, thinking the prisoners had escaped, was prepared to kill himself. And Paul and Silas revealed that no one had escaped and the guard came and he pulled them out and he fell before them. And then he asked them, what is the way to salvation? I see your God through you. I understand that his way is greater than mine. That day, not only was that man saved, 
But as we know, this was the start of the Philippian church. When God allows us to suffer, do not lose faith. Understand he is allowing it for a reason. The reason Paul and Silas were made to suffer was so that that man, that particular person, that guard and his family would be saved. I think back to my years in youth ministry and people are always concerned about numbers and I understand that. You were a youth pastor for 13 years yet your group never grew. In fact, it decreased. But I will tell you, it was never about the quantity there. It was about the quality, right, Janet? It was about quality. And those kids were presented the Word of God. And those who came, they were presented. Those who did not come, we prayed for them. Paul and Silas were doing the same. They were trusting in God and understanding that even though their ministry in their minds was bigger than God revealed. And they did. They reached that one man and his family. So their ministry was a success, was it not? And that's the way we need to think. It's not about bringing the masses in. It's not having this grandeur of what church really should be. The church starts within us. My conversation to you, to you, to you. And if we can reach one during our lifetime, that's a success. God allowed the Israelites to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Because the people had many character problems that needed to be ironed out, so to speak. The wilderness also taught the Israelites to rely on God for their provision. Or rather, it taught them to trust in the Lord. I do not believe God was trying to improve Jesus' character. He was instead wanting to prove to Satan that Jesus was absolutely faithful and could not be defeated. If we ever feel like we are in a wilderness, then we've likely entered the testing scheme. We've entered it. God wants to see what we're made of. Therefore, he will allow us to be tested by the devil. The 1600 Puritan Thomas Watson said, The devil tempts that he may deceive, but God suffers us to be tempted to try us. Temptation is a trial of our sincerity. Maybe I should say that louder. Some of you are falling asleep. God suffers us to be tempted to try us. Temptation is a trial of our sincerity. God allows us to be tested so we can realize that we're inadequate to help ourselves. And so that he can see 
where our heart truly lies. The account of Job teaches us that when we find ourselves in the wilderness, many times Satan is the culprit doing the actual testing. The Lord gave Satan permission to test Job. And he might allow the devil to test us as well. God will do so in order to get us to realize some areas in which we need to improve in our kingdom life. Amen? He will also allow us to see places where we're prone to falter. The devil is a sifter of God's wheat. The Lord wants his wheat sifted. He does not want a lot of chaff. But when the devil is thus used to sift God's wheat, when his children are thus put in the devil's seed, not one grain of wheat is lost. The God does, God does not put us out there to be lost. God puts us out there to be tested. To understand where our heart lies. It's not to destroy you. It's not to deceive you. It's to empower you. It's to show God's great grace and mercy for us. To help us to understand that we need God. In Matthew chapter 4, we can observe how Jesus was tested concerning his faithfulness to the Lord. The way in which Satan tested him was by misquoting the word of God and trying to trick him into disobeying the Father. If God allows Satan to test us, the devil will often do so by asking some very tricky questions concerning the word of God. He realizes that the word is our power source to defeat him. And he knows that if he can trick us concerning matters of the Bible or cause us to lose our faith in God's word, then he can defeat us and cause us to serve him and forsake the Lord. We have to be able to defend ourselves against physical attacks as well. It has been observed that there are three primary attacks from Satan. Physical, spiritual, and mental. Beginning first with physical. Jesus was tested physically by the devil. We read in Matthew chapter 4 verses 2 through 4. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The devil approached Jesus and became rude and sarcastic with him. The statement, If you are the Son of God can also be translated, since you are the Son of God, revealing Satan's sarcasm. This rendering would also show us that Satan was not questioning Jesus' sonship, but he was tempting him to misuse it. 
Since you are God's beloved son, why doesn't your father feed you? Why does he put you in this terrible wilderness? We can see here that Satan was attacking Jesus through his physical needs. The devil wanted Jesus to feel as though God didn't care for him and that he would never come through for him with any good. And he hoped that Jesus would curse God for allowing him to hunger. But I want us to notice how Jesus responded to Satan's attacks. He fought back by using the two-edged sword or the word of God. He quoted Deuteronomy 8.3 out of the Old Testament, which says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So when Satan attacks us through our physical needs, the way we fight back is by using God's word. Defending against spiritual attacks is a little different. Look at verses 5 through 7. An example of a spiritual attack can be observed in the account of where Peter fell into sin and tried to talk Jesus out of going to the cross. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but things of men. In our main passage, Jesus was tested spiritually by the devil. Because in verses 5 and 7 it says, Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to them, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, For it is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. In these verses, we see that Satan attacked Jesus spiritually. We read here that the devil took him to the pinnacle of the temple. The pinnacle, of course, was the highest point of the temple or the high southeast corner of the temple platform that overlooked the great depth of the Kidron Valley. Those of you who need a mental picture, there you go. Okay. After Satan got him there, he tested Jesus by trying to make him forget some of God's word. He misquoted the scripture from the book of Psalm where the Lord promised to care for his own. He says, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. But look again at Matthew chapter 4, verse 6. He left out the phrase, to keep you in all your ways. The phrase would have reminded Jesus of his mission and how he needed to, like Dave likes to say a lot, stay the course. He reminds us to stay the course. But Satan didn't want him to think about that. The devil's plan was to get Jesus off track. But Jesus knew that Satan was twisting the word of God and not only testing him, but tempting the heavenly father as well. So what did Jesus do? He fought back. He fought back with the scripture 
correcting Satan, saying, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. When Satan attacks us spiritually, then we need to fight back at him with God's word. And then defending against mental attacks. You'll see this in verses 8 through 10. An example of a mental attack by Satan can be observed in the account where Peter had to make a decision to admit to knowing Jesus. And while he was on trial, we know what happened, don't we? It meant risking his life to identify himself with Christ. And instead of confessing his followership, he consciously denied Jesus three times in order to save his own life. Jesus was also tempted mentally. We read that in verses 8 through 10. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. So here we see that Satan attacks Jesus mentally with impatience. How many of you are impatient? I'm raising four hands, five feet, and everything else that I have. We're impatient people, aren't we? I, I describe our society as a fast food society. We want it now, we want it now, and we want it now. Jesus did not need Satan's offer. He did not need his offer. The Father had already promised Jesus the kingdom. In the book of Psalm, we can actually see where the Father made this particular promise to his Son. Psalm chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. God declared, you are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Jesus realized that God had more to offer than Satan. And so he retaliated by quoting Deuteronomy 10.20, which declares, You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast. You see, when Satan attacks us mentally, we need to fight back with him with God's word. What is the theme here? We need God's word. And when we use God's word effectively, the devil will flee. That's a promise. The devil will flee. Verse 11. How many of you like to run? How many of you would like to run if you were able? Yeah. Running is very good for your body. It keeps your blood circulating. It keeps you in shape. And you'll see people out running at the park or in your neighborhoods or for us it's the canal banks. 
Some people love running so much that they'll join a marathon, which of course you know is 26.2 miles, is that right? And you have to make sure you're in good shape to do that much running. I'm not running a marathon anytime soon. But you see, this is not running for fun, what's being described here this morning. This is not running for fun. This is running for your life. If you were hiking in the mountains and you came upon a grizzly bear, you wouldn't do a nice jog to get away from him, would you? You would run from your life. And there are times in our kingdom life when you will need to run for your life. Because if you stay, you will be damaged, derailed, or devoured. But running is not the only thing we see in this verse. As we analyze this verse, we're going to use Joseph as our prime example. I think Joseph best realizes these truths in his own life. And I hope you will make them real in your life as well. See, in this verse, we see three specific truths to strengthen our walk with God. We must flee that which is polluted. We talked about this several weeks back. Flee also youthful lusts. You see, we never use the word flee much anymore today unless we're at the market or we have dogs, right? But we know what it means. It means to run, and specifically running from danger. And it's not a fun run. It's a forced run. But what are you running from? What are we running from? Youthful lusts. The devil specifically targets young people. And he's got a lot in his arsenal. Youthful lusts can include temptations that involve allurement, pride, greed, knowledge, carnal pleasures, worldly attainments. And the list goes on and on and on. And these are strong desires that especially tempt young people. So why young people? I know our older folks are going, we got a break today, right? But why young people? It's simple. If the devil can get you hooked while you're young, he can ruin your whole life. He can ruin your whole life. When it comes to temptation, there are two ways to combat it. You can either resist the temptation or you can run from it. Small temptations can often be resisted, but when a strong temptation comes along, you may have no choice but to run. In Genesis 39, there can be no doubt that Potiphar's wife was a temptation for Joseph. She must have been a very beautiful woman, and she wanted Joseph for herself. But Joseph resisted her at first, saying, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. 
Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You see, Joseph is on full alert, ready to resist. And then it came to pass. And she spoke to Joseph day by day, and he didn't resist the urge. He did not lie with her. He was not with her. But you see, the day came when resisting was not enough. The devil does not give up very easily, does he? Often he will double his efforts on the Christian who chooses to resist. Potiphar's wife became belligerent with Joseph, grabbing his coat and demanding that he do what she wants. And in that moment, Joseph did the manliest thing that he could do. He ran for his life. He ran for his life. Yes, he ran from a woman. The world will tell you that it's cowardly to run. But don't you believe it. Don't you believe it. Those who turn tail and run from temptation are the ones with integrity. They're the ones with integrity. Because it takes character to flee. Another example, although I think it's a bad one, is the young man in Proverbs chapter 7. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So, yes, resisting will make the devil run. But you know as well as I do, he'll be back. He'll be back. Temptation will always come back. Many times much stronger than before. This is why you must be ready to flee. Flee from idolatry. Flee from fornication. Flee from the wrath to come. And Joseph would tell you, flee from useful lusts. But in addition to fleeing, we have to follow that which is pure. But follow righteousness, faith, charity, and peace. So when we flee from something, it's best to run to a place of safety. Proverbs 18.10 tells us, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous running to it, and is safe. It is true that we as sheep are following our shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. But we should also be pursuing some things when it comes to our kingdom life. And this verse gives us four pursuits. If we're eager to put the devil under our feet and crush him, we can do so with the word of God. After Jesus used God's word to defend himself against the devil, then Satan fled the scene. It says it in verse 11. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. You see, too many times people will quote James 4, 7, which says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
And it's true that we need to resist the devil. But we also must understand that we have no power to overcome him. We have to submit ourselves to God. We have to first submit to God and depend on his ways in order to defeat the enemy. And one of the means by which to defeat Satan is God's holy word. And when we've endured the wilderness and we have finally learned submission and dependence on God, then his presence will be manifested in our lives. We read how it was after Satan had finished testing Jesus and after Jesus had overcome through his dependence on the word of God and thus his dependence on God himself. That's when the angels came and ministered to him. The devil is plotting this very minute on where he will set his traps for you and for me. Right this minute. The Bible says he wants us to become ensnared. So we fall into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. And in order that we might be taken captive by him to do his will. The devil is hellbent on our destruction. And he will test us to see if we will falter and turn from the Lord. And based on Matthew chapter 4, the Christian author Sam Storm tells us this. When it comes to us, and he comes and he taps us on the shoulder or tugs at our shirt tail and whispers in our ear, you deserve better than what God has provided. He's holding out on you. You deserve to feel good about yourself. I'll affirm you in a way no one else can. Why live in misery any longer? Come to me. I'll give you a sense of power you've never known before. I'll expand your influence. I'll fill your heart with a sense of accomplishment. Satan says, I'll nourish your soul. You've never had a physical rush like the one I got in store for you. Obeying God is boring. It's a pain. He's always telling you to do stuff that's difficult and burdensome and inconvenient. Or ordering you to forsake a few things that you really know would bring you happiness. Come on. You've only got one life. Obedience is ugly. My way is fun. My way feels good. We must learn to submit ourselves to God and obey Him if we expect to have a chance at putting the devil on the run. One huge way we can become dependent on him is by studying the word of God. When we study the Bible, we're admitting to the Lord that we desire the help that he provides in his word. And of course, another benefit to studying God's word is that it helps us learn God's strategy to defeat the enemy. Psalm 119.98 declares, 
You, O Lord, through your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. In other words, be certain to study the Bible so that you may show thyself approved unto God. And will be able to withstand the devil in that evil day, having done all to stand. God's word will also lead us to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 8 and 9 says this, and I close with, The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That if you confess with your mouth that Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. Dave, come. Or Sean, come. I'll take either. If you guys would like to stand, we're going to go ahead and sing uh, I Surrender All before we head out.
Before we leave, we're making this a habit, which is a good thing. I'm asking Miss Chrissy Pazin to come and join me up front. She's been attending our church for several months, and she's a big proponent in our Awana program. And you should just see the kids' eyes light up when they see her. And I'm pleased to present her to you by her statement of faith and baptism to join this fellowship. So all those in favor, say aye. Aye. The rest of you leave. (laughs) We are very, very blessed to have Miss Chrissy join us and to serve with us. So let us pray and you come and welcome her into the family. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the opportunity that we've had to be in your presence. Lord, there's temptation, there are trials, and we know that, Lord, that sometimes those are things that help us right ourselves with you. Lord, help us to accept that challenge and to be faithful to your will. Thank you that you love us and that you watch over us. And all of God's people said, Amen. Have a great day in the Lord. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.